Amen. If you came in today not knowing that Jesus is the living hope, don't leave without that assurance and knowledge today. Have you ever had a, uh, a, a friend that you haven't seen for a while and when, they, when you see them for the first time, there wells up this sense of joy and excitement within you and you greet each other and it's almost like you never had this spans of time where you didn't see them. I had one of those moments this morning. I'm looking around the room right now. Jeff, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Come up here for a minute, Jeff. He didn't know I was going to do this, but I want to invite Jeff. Yeah, give Jeff a hand. Yeah. Jeff and Kelly Ward are, uh, are Bemis Point diehards, and, uh, but they, they winter where it's a little bit warmer. Yeah, all the way up here. Come on up here. We want you all the way up here in the, in the spotlight. No, you don't get a candy bar for this. <laughs> Great is your reward, Jesus said. I'm going to help you out with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. This morning, uh, uh, I saw a s- two silhouettes coming down the hall, and it was Jeff and Kelly, and it was just good to be back with them today. There's just a sweet presence of the Lord with brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, we embraced in a hug, and it was good, and... This man called me, uh, and his wife was, they were on speakerphone, I believe. Uh, they called me uh, maybe a month ago, I don't know. And uh, it was our gathering night for prayer on Thursdays. And they called me during the day and um, said that they would like to pray with me because they pray every week for me and for Pastor Tom and uh, asked how they could be praying. And I just wanted to invite him to pray for me this morning uh, with all of you praying along with him. But I wanted to invite him to pray for me this morning up front. Uh, Jeff is a prayer warrior, and Kelly is too, and uh, we believe that we have a church of prayer warriors in each and every one of you, and uh, thank you for sharing last week so faithfully some of you of what God's doing and where you're seeing God at work. Um, Prayer is a gift that God has given the world through the church, and uh, so I want to ask Jeff to pray for me this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to God, uh, and that I wouldn't miss the mark at all. He's a good marksman too. You hit the, hit the spot. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are such a good God, such a holy God. Quiet us, Lord. Let us get in the quiet before you. Because we want to hear you this morning through your servant, Pastor John. Lord, I ask as your spirit moves over him and through him, Lord, that we would hear you, mm. that we would know that we heard from you. Lord, I believe I speak on behalf of everyone in this church. We don't want to look the same when we leave. So whatever you say or do, do, Joe. Lord, we hear. I love you, Jesus, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. The, uh, the church has done a, a wonderful job of responding in life. You all just do that so well. Whatever the needs are, you respond. Um. As a church, we've kind of taken a, a front, front seat with Royal Family Kids Camp, and I saw Car- Carolyn help to lead us in worship this morning, and uh, Carolyn Wesp, and she's the, the director for that chapter here around us in Chautauqua County, but um, Royal Family really ministers to, to kids who are in really difficult situations in our county. And you might not be aware of that. I know that if I didn't look for it, I would be unaware of it. But because I kind of live in this world, uh, within the church and in our communities, I'm aware that there is evil around us 
all the time. And uh, May is National Foster Care Awareness Month. Um, April was Child Abuse Awareness Month. You can see how those two things kind of go hand in hand. And I just want to invite you, church. Our response with the royal family has been tremendous and amazing. And that's giving up of our, of our lives for a week out of the year. But I want to invite you to prayerfully consider if God is calling you to, to foster a child that's in a really difficult situation for a season or even for adoption, to prayerfully listen as God might be prompting you in that. I know many of you have already done that. I know that uh, it's on the heart of Kaylee and Andrew. And if you have some questions or, or maybe you're willing to just have some more conversation about what that might look like uh, or how you can help or come alongside it, you're not really sure, but God's saying something and you want some help discerning that, you can see myself or Kaylee or Andrew or, or Pastor Tom. We'd love to talk a little bit more about that with you. But how does the church tangibly respond to the command from Jesus to take care of the orphans and the widows? And... Uh, we have a unique opportunity in our community to come alongside young people who are in very difficult situations and to be a, a source of hope and of life that we just sang about, that we are experiencing in Christ uh, in their lives on a regular day-to-day -day basis. I can tell you that it's probably not going to be super smooth and super easy. <laughs> but most things that are good aren't super smooth and super easy, are they? It's work. And that's good. Jeff, I, uh, I appreciate you praying for me this morning. I feel like this is way down here. We're going to move this thing up. Is that okay? Whoa, I don't really like that, actually. We're just going to go with this thing. Um, I want to share a quote with you. I, I, I like constantly challenging myself in leadership because that's one of the things that God has called me to. And uh, a writer that I've read, read many of his books um, has written a newer one um, called... Build and Inspire, I think, is the title of it, or Inspire and Trust, maybe, or Trust and Inspire. Uh, it's by Stephen Covey. Any other Covey fans? One. Good. Okay. Perfect. Now, there's a few of you out there. Uh, Covey does some really tremendous things in the world of leadership as being a leader who cares for people. And uh, I read his, his new book, and I was captivated by the intro, so I want to share a little bit of it with you. And, uh, and then I'm going to show you how uh, we can work in the world and share the light in the world. And, um, but Covey talked about, I mean, we have some folks from California, so I, I said to my friends, the Lindstroms, I said, hey, I'm going to talk this morning briefly about Death Valley. Is anybody else familiar with Death Valley? It's the hottest place in the world, and it's here on American soil in California. So uh, not only do they have the highest fuel prices, they've also got the hottest place in the world. Um, but I, I recently was listening to Covey share about that. Well, I read it, actually, I wasn't listening to it. And he, he was quoting about Death Valley, how 134 degrees is the hottest recorded day there. It was in the early 1900s. And like nothing really lives there. You can kind of understand why. On a cool night, it's like 85 degrees. That's, I, I am not made for hot weather, so that's not for me. Okay. And they talk about how it's got its name, Death Valley. Why, why, I mean, that's just kind of logical. Well, things die in that kind of heat all the time. They get something like, it's only a few inches of rain a year. A year. And Cubby said, well, what if it wasn't called Death Valley, but what if it was called Dormant Valley? Because in 2004, a freak thing happened. Six inches of rain fell in the period of like 24 hours crazy, very short period of time, six inches of rain. 
And right away, wildflowers covered Death Valley. You can see where this is going probably, can't you? Covey said that uh, people are kind of like that, aren't we? That so often we, we live as if we're dying. When right underneath the surface is a seed that with the right water bursts forth. I believe that God has created you for greatness. Each and every one of you. I believe that every single human being is created in the image of God and bears that seed. Every single person. What I would challenge you with is to maybe redefine what greatness looks like. If greatness for you means pointing to the one who is great, then you are absolutely correct. If greatness for you means you get everything in life that you desire and it's not all Jesus, that's not a correct understanding. But I will tell you that when the Lord waters it, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Pastor Tom did a wonderful job last week inviting you to a moment of peace. Lexio Divina, the sacred reading of Scripture. That space where we still our minds and allow the Spirit to still our souls and God to minister to us. And he shared how many of you might sit quietly and 30 seconds in you're distracted. I know how that goes, right? The fly goes by, hello. I had a professor once talk about prayer walking and she said um, she was determined to walk only as far as she would be faithful in prayer. And the moment she was distracted and went to something else, she would quit. She said she didn't even get out of the house for like a month. And then it was a couple of steps down the sidewalk and she'd have to go back home. But eventually it got to the spot where she could walk miles. Not be distracted by other things. The Lord had helped her quiet her spirit and be attentive to the things of God. And I I hope that you took advantage of that this last week. If you didn't or you weren't here, I want to remind you again that that's not just a one-week thing. That's an everyday thing. Maybe start with just a few moments or 30 minutes even. Build up to just quiet, positioning yourself to hear from the Lord as you meditate upon his word. God does some pretty amazing things in those moments. And the people that you talk to that have experienced that peace don't ever want to go back to life before that. Their lives are changed. So many of you are craving that and are pursuing that. Praise God for your pursuit. You keep on it. Don't quit. When you get discouraged... Get back up and go again. Just sit for a little bit with the Lord. I do, uh, Pastor Tom isn't here this morning. He's preaching in Gary at the Methodist Church there uh, on on this Sunday. So he's not here to hear my uh, banter, but you can tell him Pastor Joe said this. He'll worship online with us later, so I'm sure he'll get this. Tom, I don't know if it's okay to invite people to sleep. He gave you a pass on that last week, didn't he? I guess if sleep is what you need, then uh, praise God that you're able to rest in the midst of this. Um, But in all seriousness, today we pick up the ball right there with this piece. And now what do we do with it once we've received it? 
And uh, like I said, don't lose sight of that barren valley, not to be confused with death valley that so many of us live in, an arid place, just waiting for a little bit of water, and then it's beautiful. If you've got your Bibles, and if you're going to use the Pew Bibles, I would invite you to turn to page 777. It doesn't get more holy than that. I get to preach from page 777 in the Pew Bibles. It's not page 777 in my Bible. It's uh, 1,066. Ah, oh, jeepers. I need a new Bible. But I want to just uh, pray for you while the Lord ministers to you through the Word. Father, thank you for your word and your faithfulness this morning. May the Spirit of God speak to us through your scriptures. Quiet our hearts and our minds. And then minister to us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to give you just a brief snapshot of a backstory. Um, the book of Acts is the, the story of the early church and this movement of God to all the world. And I found myself, Acts is one of those books that I found myself just captivated by over the last couple of weeks in preparation. I just couldn't stop reading it. Page after page after page, I wanted to know more. I wanted to, to hear more. I wanted to see more. It's, it's a spot where we see the church doing some pretty amazing things. Dead people are raised to life. Sick people are healed, not by Jesus alone, but by the church who Jesus is within now, right? Breathed on him last week and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. It's the story of a man's conversion where he once is killing and persecuting the Jewish believers and even those who aren't Jewish, just believers. I want to preach from uh, Acts chapter 9. It's the story of Saul's radical conversion to Jesus Christ. But before we do that, I want to back up just one page in my Bible to Acts chapter 8, and I want to just share what's kind of going on. I know that we're navigating some difficult stuff at times, but here is what is taking place in people's homes, okay? I know that it was probably challenging. Some of you, I, I get it. I know how it is to go to church sometimes, especially if you're uh, a teenager at so I might be speaking your language right here. It's like kicking and screaming, dragging you out of the house, right? Some of you looked up, you're like, hey, he was in my home this morning. No, it's not unique to you. It's every single one of us who have navigated the years of 12 to 18 and beyond sometimes, right? Imagine if this was the scenario this morning. It says, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. The chapter before, verses before, it was Saul who gave the instructions to stone Stephen to death. Sticks and stones may break your bones. No, sticks and stones killed a man. Multiple times, actually, people have been killed by stoning. And you know how they did it? Small stones first. So that you'd experience lots of pain through the process. Until they got to the bigger ones. We have actually come a long ways. I know it doesn't seem that way sometimes. But this is what the religious leaders of the day were doing to other human beings. This man's name was Stephen, and Saul was the guy there that said, hey, execute him with rocks. Those people known as early Christians were gathering in their homes, and Saul came in and dragged them out. I mean, the imagery in my mind's eye. 
I don't know how I would have gone. Probably kicking and screaming, fighting, honestly. Meanwhile, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I find it fascinating that Luke chose to use the word breathing out these murderous threats while John told us that Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive ye life. One is breathing out murderous threats, trying to take life. The other is giving life, right? Oh, I love the Lord. Says uh, murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Says he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, or let me translate that for you, any there who were Christ followers or Christians, whether men or women, he didn't care. He might bring them back as prisoners to Jerusalem. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. I was driving uh, to our huddle group. These men are, are engaging and they are going. We took a step in faith last week that if your significant other is in my huddle group, watch out world. Seriously. And I've heard rumors throughout the other huddle groups that it's no, well, some of you guys are already done. We wanted to take it a little bit longer. We're a little slower. God's doing some things. And on my way over the hill, a power line came down up from Redbird Corners and hit the front of my truck. Yeah, I went, <gasps> I was startled. I didn't see lights or anything like that. Praise God, I think, I mean, my electrician buddies are like, that's probably good that you didn't see lots of lights in that moment. Paul, it says, saw lots of lights or a light from heaven. And when that happened, Scripture says that he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him. Now listen very, very carefully. I want to take you through this actually together. Who was Saul persecuting? Christians, right? Saul was persecuting Christians. Do you Stay with me because this is important actually. Do you remember in John's gospel, Tom preached this last week, he said that Jesus breathed on them and said what? Receive ye the Holy Ghost. In the beginning of Acts, you're going to see that that narrative unfolds in a fag, not magnificent, magnificent, magnificent way. All of a sudden, God takes up residency inside of his creation. Who was Saul persecuting? Christians. Check this out. Jesus responds to Saul, 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 why do you persecute my human beings. That's not what the Bible says, actually. The scriptures say, why do you persecute me? You. You, with the eyes looking back up this way, or through the back of your eyelids, are God-bearers. You are the image of the invisible God in a world that is dark. You, when you are persecuted, are Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus didn't ask a question here. He just stated a fact. While you were persecuting what you thought were human beings doing terrible things, 
That's a sermon for another day. You're persecuting me because I am in them. Do you remember Jesus' prayer in John's gospel? When he prayed to the Father and for their relationship, and then he prayed for the disciples and their relationship, and then he prayed for the rest of the world that we would be one as they are one. That we would be united in Christ. Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now I want to give you one more little piece of the puzzle, because our text technically ends there. I want you to fast forward in your Bibles to the 20th verse. And this really tells us exactly what happens, and it's going to, I think, tie together our our sermon um, Verse 20, so Saul is blind. He goes to Damascus where he lives for three days. Another man by the name of Ananias has a vision from God where God says, hey, go tell this guy who's killing Christians that he's mine now, essentially, okay? He argues for a brief moment, you do know, Lord, who this guy is, right? He's the one that's trying to kill people like me. Yeah, I know exactly who he is. He's the one that I chose Now go. Ananias was faithful. He went to Saul. And it says this in the 20th verse, what happens after his radical conversion. It says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Three days prior, he was arresting people and dragging them out of their homes for that statement. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. But as you read from here forward and allow the Spirit of God to minister to you, you're going to find that Saul's conversion, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. So there are three things that we want you to kind of take away, and I just need to get the words right. That God uses unlikely candidates, that God uses unlikely circumstances. And what's the third one there? In unlikely ways or something. I, I tried alliteration, but I've forgotten it already. Can you put them up, all three of them up there at once? Unlikely, respon- unlikely candidates, unlikely responses, and there's a second one somewhere. We'll get to it. Unlikely candidates. That's the story of God, friends. All throughout Scripture. When you open the book, you find this human being named Adam and this woman named Eve. Unlikely candidates. Right? In fact, they sunk the ship, essentially. Then you fast forward a little while, you find a man named Abraham, an unlikely candidate, right? Abraham wasn't squeaky clean. We all like to think Abraham was squeaky clean. He lied about his wife. (laughs) He lied about his wife and gave her to the people in charge. Said she was his sister. By the way, his son and his father both did that. Unlikely candidates to receive this gift of grace that God is bestowing upon them. Fast forward a little while and you find a woman named Ruth. She wasn't even of the people of God. She was a Moabite. You can't get much worse than that. I got to be careful. I had a joke, but I'm going to pull it back. See, there is a God. Because it was right here, and it was like on the tip of my tongue, and I'm just going to pull that back. No, I'm holding it back. Esther. Who knows, but you weren't created for such a time as this. Unlikely candidates. David, oh, by the way, he wasn't squeaky clean either. 
He was the only human in Scripture, aside of Jesus, to be identified as a, as a, um, as a uh, I lost it. It was there. Yep, it'll come back. He had a special blessing that God used for him. By the way, he was an adulteress. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he executed her husband. Ah, it came to me. Man after God's own heart. Fast forward through the prophets. Jonah. Mm, he wasn't squeaky clean either. How about those tax collectors and people like Matthew and Mark and Luke, James and John and Peter? You get the picture. Fast forward to the beginning of the church and we find some unlikely candidates in history, don't we? Arrhenius, Augustine, Wesley, Calvin. I'm just picking names of people that are followers of the way. That God called unlikely candidates. If I could just be blunt and tell you that every single human being is an unlikely candidate. And yet God calls us. Listen very carefully. God calls you. Let it be personal. You're an unlikely candidate. And you know and God knows. And he chooses not to identify you by your unlikeliness. Let that sink in for a minute. God knows the thoughts that you had this morning, even right now, yesterday, the actions that you've engaged in, the dealings that you've participated with, the very directions that maybe you gave to kill somebody. I mean, not literally. Maybe. And he chooses you. He does ask a very pointed question, though. He says, why are you persecuting me? Stop doing that. And he oftentimes calls us in unlikely ways. There's the alliteration coming back for you. I mean, he used a flash of light for Saul. I don't know what your faith narrative or your faith story is, but God uses unlikely ways to connect with his people because he loves them so much. And if you'll just practice a little bit of what Tom encouraged you to do last week where you pause and listen, you too will find it. And your friends are probably going to pick on you about it. I'm just being honest. Your friends are probably going to be like, well, that's a little bit weird. Why would you want to be a faithful husband? By the way, I think you should be faithful husbands. Why would you want to be encouraging wives and holy children why would you want to be a, a God-honoring businessman or businesswoman or a God-honoring politician? Or you fill in whatever your title is or your job is and people will push back against that at times. We see Saul take a very radical approach. 
he was a, a leader in the institution. It says that he went right into the synagogues. <laughs> I love it. It's like, charge! And away he goes. I don't care, he says. Till the next verse. <laughs> Once they start talking about killing him, he's like, I'm out of here for a little while. I'll be back. True story. You can't make this stuff up. It's right here. Right here. Unlikely candidates in unlikely ways who make unlikely responses. I want to tell you about my friend. We're going to call him Bob. That's actually not his name, so don't think about the people that you know named Bob that I know and are like, oh, who's he talking about? And it's not my brother, right? Some of you know my brother Bob. It's not him. It's not Bob, okay? But Bob's the name we're going to use. Bob called me up. I'm, I'm, this is probably challenging for those of you that are online if I start moving. I'm sorry about that. But I want you to understand the seriousness of this. Bob, actually, he texted me uh, about six months ago. I hadn't seen him in about a year and a half. And he said, he said you're not going to believe this. God spoke to me last night. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning when he texted me. I'm like, well, can I sleep a little bit on this? He says, we have to talk. I heard from the Lord. And I'm like, I've been praying for this guy for a long time. Okay? He's one of those Christians that's like a foot in each boat like so many of us. And to be frank, he lives most of the time on his left foot rather than the right foot. Okay? And, uh, but he heard from the Lord. And I said, dude, call me. We'll talk about it. I'll buy you coffee or whatever. It says that <laughs> months go by. Nothing. So I began to pray. I said, Lord, why? What did you say to him? And the Lord told me, clear as day, I've called him to preach the good news. I'm like, okay. So I'm waiting for Bob to call me. And I go to a family member of Bob's house and Bob shows up. Before he gets there, his family member is very sick. And we began to pray for healing in, in uh, their physical body. And, uh, <laughs> and I said to this family member, I said, so when is Bob going to tell me that God's called him to preach? And she turned white as a ghost. How do you know that? I asked the Lord, and he told me. She says, he hasn't told you yet? I said, No. And I said, you know what happens when we don't respond? Time. You know who is the author and the, not the author, the user of time? The devil himself. And he began to doubt this word that he heard from the Lord. Lots of people helped him to doubt that too, by the way. Lots of others that he talked to, outside of the one that he told he was going to talk to, told him, you ain't worthy, man. I know what you do on the weekends. Heck, I know what you do on the weekdays. <laughs> well, Bob showed up at my house not too long ago. And uh, I just went for it. That's the truth. I just went for it. And that's usually how I do I just go for it. I was really confident in what God had told me. And I looked him in the eyes in my kitchen, and I said to him, So, Bob... 
When are you going to tell me about the Lord's call on your life to preach the gospel? You know what his response was? <laughs> How do you know? I said, the Lord told me. He said, yeah, we need to sit down. It's been a month already. I'm not chasing after Bob. I've been faithful on my side. Each and every one of you has to make a decision to respond when God prompts you. You're the only one who can respond. I, I believe that at some point Bob's going to respond and the gates of hell will not prevail against this man because it's a radical Saul-like conversion where he flees from his life of sin and runs to Christ. And I believe that's true for all of you. For each and every human being laying dormant underneath the death valley is a beautiful seed. And the water's being poured, friends. Let it burst forth. And respond in faith that radically changes the world. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness and, your, and the lives of your church. God, you have created these people for great things. You've created them to bring glory and honor to your name, to be faithful in administering your grace. God, the truth is, we now know that we are unlikely candidates and that you call us and speak to us in unlikely ways. God, may we be faithful in responding unlike anybody else. May we respond in faith today and tell others that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.